And I'm Allie. And it's about time for True Crime. Hey, what the fuck? Stop it again, Jesus. Well, hello to everybody, I guess. You know this is Abby. And this is Allie. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's our life. We say the same things all the time. We wear the same colors. We have matching maroon cardigans, actually with another one of our coworkers that none of us talked about before we all just brought them in and we all wear them on the exact same day every single time so um welcome to the podcast of uncanny jinx absolutely (laughs) and all the cokes that you owe me anyway um so we have noticed an uptick in listeners hello all of you new people hey guys if you're new Happy Tuesday. If you're old, happy Tuesday. And um, if you're young, happy Tuesday. And, and if any pod pets are listening, happy Tuesday, you good oh, boy. Woo-woo. Anyway, sorry. Whew. Having tacos today. I Taco wore my Tuesday? taco socks for Taco Are Tuesday. you really? Yeah. Check them. They're bright pink. Okay, I can confirm. Those are taco socks. Um, I believe they have everything on them, too. Like, they're probably I saw like, lettuce and tomato in there. A yeah, salsa they, in there. and it looks like a little bit of sour cream, so they are, in fact, a Doritos Locos Tacos Supreme oh. at a Taco Bell. Oh, my Bell, good God. If you care. What a shame. But. Way to ruin a taco. Anyway. Are you kidding? So good. Oh, my God. You so lived. If you are new here, we thank you hey. very much for hanging out with us. We love doing this. We do this a couple times a week. And we just chill out, talk true crime, and uh, a little bit about us. We are two professionals working in the criminal justice field, though we do not represent our workplaces. We're just passionate about the criminal justice field in general and apply what we've learned in school and our experience that we have into what we're talking about. Right. We try to help um, guide you guys through our thought processes. None of these examples, none of our experiences come directly from work that we have with coworkers, clients, attorneys, uh, law enforcement, anyone within the criminal justice system, despite the fact that we do actively, you know, uh, pursue careers in that field. So while we love this topic and we love true crime as any typical, you know, true crime, weirdo, murderino, the whole shebang any of us do, um, we just try to keep that part of it separate. We want to just, you know, remind people now and again, like we see you guys listening. Hey, oh my gosh. And we're so grateful and holy crap. There's a lot of you now. So just sending love, but oh my um, God, all the nose boops. All the nose boops in the whole world. Just a reminder. And, you know, if you guys have questions or you're interested, we're happy to send resources of places you can learn about that. But, you know, we're going to keep that part of our life separate to the extent that we aren't overstepping any boundaries. We're keeping our professional lives and all of those who we work with confidential and doing our best to respect and maintain those boundaries. But also um, just because, you know what? We do that 40 hours a week, and we're not getting paid for this right now, Mm -hmm. and this is our time. So we try to separate those, you know, very purposefully and consciously. This is just all about, okay, we're geeking out about criminal justice stuff because we've literally, like, gone to school for it and decided that that's our career path and what we're going to, like, put our lives toward, and so... I'm glad that we're still excited by it and interested in it. And so we were going to have these conversations anyway. So we decided, okay, I know there's a lot of people that want to have these conversations too. Let's all sit and hang out together. Well, and like, it's just a nice little community, you guys. Like, you know, we sit here and we do. We talk about serial killers and one-off killers and people who commit atrocities. Like, 
I don't know, sexual assault and like familiacide. But then also we get to sit here and like dissect it all from the lens of two people who not only have studied it theoretically in the books and through school but have applied it yeah yeah we do it daily for years now and Allie and I between the two of us have 10 years of education and you know I think we have a lot to offer in terms of our perspective but it's also just so nice to hear about what other people who haven't studied this all the time think too because that offers a refreshing perspective for us absolutely Um, and we love all the messages we get from you guys we love them we get all giddy every time. You will always get a response from us. And yes, I do constantly check our ratings and reviews. So yes. we love to read those too. But really just wanted to welcome anyone new and another just hello to anyone who is joining us again because we're oh very gosh. happy to be here. Hello to Kenya. Hey. Ah! <laughs> we've got um We've got a really a nice spread, if you will. We really um, do. Of, of different areas of, of the globe, which is just amazing. So, again, we just want to thank you guys for joining us or joining us again. We appreciate it. We love getting to spend a couple hours a week with you guys and whatever that looks like. If you're driving to work, home from work, sitting at work, you naughty people. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. me. I getting ready to- in the morning, that's me. I listen to everything in the background so like everything I do there's always got to be something going on but um that was directed at me so that was de- that's definitely a you thing yeah <laughs> today I probably was laughing out loud at the podcast I was listening to and I caught myself and I was like oh shit oh my god someone can hear that yeah <laughs> yeah but luckily I didn't so oh got away with it this time mm-hmm. this time now I'm always. putting it on the internet so so then so you didn't really get no, away with it. No, but that's that's okay. I honestly have no problem. With it that. happens to the best of us. So we have a real uh, time true crime update. Unfortunately, it isn't a great one. It's um, somber circumstances, but yeah. happy actually to announce that Adam Montgomery has been arrested for the murder of his five-year-old daughter, mm. Harmony Montgomery. So if you were a local to New England, you have definitely heard of this case. But even nationally, it's been discussed here in the States that five-year-old Harmony Montgomery had gone missing. I believe her dad lived in New Hampshire and her mother lived in Massachusetts. And she was supposed to be in New Hampshire and was unaccounted for for quite some time. And while we don't have her remains, to my knowledge, it's confirmed that she is deceased. So we know that some piece of evidence has proven that she is not alive um i'm sure some kind of biological evidence that they've gathered but unfortunately that hasn't been released yet but yesterday at the so the time you guys are hearing this we record a week ahead of time so what where we sit right now this was announced yesterday so yeah. by the time you hear it, it will be a week later but you can find all of this information and who knows maybe there'll be more available at the time But he has been charged with second-degree murder of his daughter, falsifying evidence, abuse of a corpse, and witness tampering. Oh, baby girl. Um, And I believe, I watched the entire press conference that the attorney general, whose name is John Formella um, in New Hampshire, who... um, introduced this and sort of announced this and also with the manchester new hampshire police department who was the police department that was investigating this case and so the chief 
my heart broke for him as he was talking. It was like he really struggled oh. to discuss what was what happened to her and he invited everybody to do something nice for a child today because he feels like that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. When a defenseless, innocent, beautiful little five year old is murdered and what's worse is by her family. Yeah. Just horrific. Well, and you know, we've talked about places where you don't see a homicide for 30 years. And, you know, I can't speak much to what the Manchester Police Department sees normally, you know, whether or not they have like a on average crime rate. But I can say I'm sure it's not every day you have to hear about such a precious little baby being so violated and so victimized in that way. And by for that parent, reason, by yeah. a parent. I mean, I'm sure well, they're all losing sleep over that. Yes, but I also don't, you know, if you're talking about babies, babies, five and under, six and under, who Who's do you know? Who's going to have access to them, right? Yeah, it's your family and daycare or school, and that's it. So, like, heartbreaking that it's her family. And I don't know, just honestly devastating all around. But I'm glad that we have at least a lead so this little girl can see justice hopefully and um you know we as a society can decide what happens when you decide to end the life of your five-year-old well and i believe that there were accounts of him like using a closed fist and beating her in the head no. and there is just so much of it's just what an inconvenience that she's alive that she's there that she's whatever and it's just it is so horrific, so terrible. There were so many things that should have been done to protect her and options that he had, had he not wanted to be a parent anymore, mm-hmm. um, that absolutely did not have to result in whatever the fuck happened there. Yes. So we will certainly keep you guys updated with any of the news we hear on this case, but it just, it breaks our hearts and, you know, our thoughts and prayers and good vibes and luck goes out to all of the people out there supporting Harmony's case in the people that knew her and loved her. I mean, yeah. she, was, she was a baby, um, sweet little angel. We hope that the case has a positive resolution and that if he did do this, which I'm pretty sure he did, uh, that he rots in hell just like for eternity. So we have, yeah, only, only a little <laughs> bit, um, so that we have that going for us. So, Unfortunately, that is the true crime update, but especially our New England listeners are probably aware of this, but you've definitely heard of Harmony Montgomery, and you've certainly seen her picture. You cannot miss her adorable little smile. Uh, Oh my God, her little face. I know. All right. So, I mean, the good news and the bad news of it is that that's the worst it's going to get today. Um, So that's good and bad. That's that's a win pretty fucking bad but it's good because it means you guys kind of get an emotional heartstring break for today yeah don't uh don't count on that for thursday i'm just just warning you guys oy vey i know um, well then good you'll have this one as like a palate cleanser <laughs> yes so today i'm going to be doing my first deep dive which i'm really excited into a criminal justice topic so not like an eight-part John Bonet series not that I haven't been known to do that mm. but um I wanted to talk about specifically sociopathy versus psychopathy Ooh, criminal Yay. justice special topics for the win so I wanted to do a quick little preface on this 
And I think that it kind of comes in handy, especially if listening to this, you are thinking of yourself or hear other people in your life that might sort of connect with this. I'm just going to throw it right up at the top. While many individuals who participate in crime do have a personality disorder, like up to 87% of women and 83% of men committing crimes have a personality disorder, according to a study, this is not typical with individuals that are mentally ill. So it's kind of like a square rectangle thing. If you're committing crime, there's a high chance that you have a personality disorder, but if you have a personality disorder, it's not a high chance that you're committing crime. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So... Most mentally ill individuals are not a threat to the community and rarely a threat to themselves, but if they're going to be a harm, they are statistically more likely to be a threat to themselves than others. However, for the sake of curiosity and the extremes of the psyche, we're going to talk about psychopathy and sociopathy today in relation to our good true crime obsessions and the infamous players we see in these categories. Antisocial personality disorder, which is going to be the main topic of this episode, actually degrades quality of life immensely. So if you or someone you know sound like they may be facing this, please encourage them to get help. Antisocial personality disorder affects about 1-4% to of people in the U.S. And further, men who have this disorder are 3-5 to times more likely to develop a substance use disorder. And both sex-based studies on antisocial personality disorder are seen to have a drastic increase in suicidation and suicidal thoughts compared to those without a diagnosis. Also, comorbidity, which is referring to the amount of co-occurring diagnoses in someone with any mental illness, but right now we're talking about antisocial personality disorder, is very high with these personality disorders. Studies indicate that between 24 and 44 years old, symptoms can worsen, but there is hope because many people do see some relief in their symptoms after 45. Psychology Today is a great tool for finding counselors in your area that take your insurance. And both Allie and I use this all day long. But, you know, we genuinely advocate for you to get yourself set up or a loved one set up for success by engaging in therapy. Differential diagnoses are diagnoses that share a significant amount of symptoms with another diagnosis, but do differ significantly in some way. And these can be hard to immediately see apart. So therapy not only gives somebody time to try different therapeutic interventions, but it's also pertinent to decidedly getting a correct diagnosis and being sure that no differential diagnosis fits your symptoms better. For those who have the issues that we talk about or who need a support in any way, um, please, please, please remember that the suicide prevention hotline is there 24-7. You can call 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. And again, it's open 24-7 for support. If you don't feel comfortable talking to someone or you're in an area that you can't call, you can text too. If you text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, there is free confidential text support. And of course, fam, don't forget about 988. They exist too. Mm-hmm. So... With that long-winded preface out of the way, let's get into it. Oh my god, let's get into it. Okay, so I'm going to start with the DSM-5. And everybody's going, what's the DSM-5? What's the DSM-5? Well, the DSM-5 is the Diagnostic the diagnostic Statistical Manual, the fifth edition. So this is the, you know, quote-unquote Bible um, for diagnosing mental illnesses and disorders. 
But also, as the fifth edition notes, there have been delightful amounts of growth in these different manuals. So basically, it's kind of cool because it's like a history of all of the things we've learned about the psyche and what we've done in studies and seen. Um, And these different editions do have, you know, additions and removals of some diagnoses. And these have either continued um, or been adapted. So like some good examples of these would be homosexuality or gender identity disorder. Homosexuality obviously referring to people that are queer. And this is no longer in the DSM-5 because it is not viewed as a mental illness or a disorder anymore, which means I can date my partner openly. Hooray. But um, different diagnoses like gender identity disorder or people who would identify as transgender, that has more shifted in terms of the transgender identity not necessarily being the disorder, but body dysmorphia being a disorder. And actually kind of a fun uplifting fact about this is that per studies that have like been peer reviewed and show supporting evidence, body dysmorphia for people who are transgender is actually one of the only body dysmorphias that we have seen a quote unquote cure for, meaning that people are no longer bothered by the symptoms once they are finished with that therapeutic intervention and potential correction. So that's cool. But anyway... Back to the diagnoses at hand. So let's start with psychopathy and sociopathy. Neither of these are in the DSM-5, which means you're probably being like, why the fuck are we talking about the DSM-5? Why the fuck are we talking (laughs) about DSM-5? Well, we do need to talk about them because though psychopathy and sociopathy is what we're talking today, I want to talk about what these actually refer to. So these are both kind of a different spectrum of one specific diagnosis, which is that antisocial personality disorder. I did want to cover one other diagnosis that you could be referring to if you say psycho. um, And if you see any actual diagnostic paperwork or medical or, you know, psycho medical, I don't know, psychology, psychiatry, if you see any diagnoses there and you see like a psychotic disorder, this is different. So I'm going to sort of explain the differences and explain how, you know, when someone says psycho, you really do have to look at what they're talking about to know what disorder they're talking about. But let's get into it. So psychology differentiates your diagnosis kind of based on like a checklist, right? So like Ali and I were talking about with the organized versus disorganized offenders, it's kind of a spectrum and fitting a label to a person is way more important than fitting the person to the label. So you don't have to be all the way organized, all the way disorganized. You can mostly fit the criteria for one and still sort of dabble in the other because it's a majority wins sort of situation. And we'll talk about what that means. So With schizophrenia spectrum and other psychotic disorders, these are what psychotic disorders are lumped into, but there are a whole bunch of different kinds of disorders and diagnoses that are grouped up into different categories. So there are mood disorders, neurocognitive disorders, personality disorders, psychotic disorders, motor disorders, and like a friggin' bunch. It's a lot. So psychotic disorders naturally are going to be the first ones that we talk about because when I think of psychopath, I think psycho. And when I see psychotic, I think psycho. So I figured that would be kind of a common thought process. 
Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about the schizophrenia spectrum and other psychotic disorders, which is how these are grouped together in the DSM-5. These disorders are defined by abnormalities in one or more of the following five domains, delusions, hallucinations, disorganized thinking and speech, grossly disorganized or abnormal motor behavior, and negative symptoms. So I know what you're thinking. That's a bunch of words. That's a lot of words. So let's see what they mean. Disorders and diagnoses are given on... The symptoms that are experienced, severity of symptoms, the length of symptomology onset, and the amount to which they interrupt your life. So if you're thinking like, that doesn't make sense, um, I don't know, anxiety doesn't necessarily interrupt my day-to-day activities, that might mean that it's not like a generalized anxiety disorder. doesn't mean you don't have anxiety, but it might just not be a chronic disorder. So another example of this that's a really good one, I think, is I'm sure we've all heard someone in our life say, oh, I'm so OCD because they have a particular way of organizing a dishwasher or cleaning or something. Mm -hmm. But basically, without that maladaption where it intervenes with that daily living, it's not going to be categorized this way. There is a whole range of emotions and experiences that your brain is programmed to have. And so, yes, developing those patterns, having tools, having preferences, that's all normal. Having anxiety, feeling sad, feeling depressed, feeling happy, feeling manic. These are all things that your brain naturally goes through. It's not a problem until it starts intervening on your ability to adapt and to shift into other experiences and emotions and to get on with your daily life. So... Psychotic disorders include those five things that we talked about earlier. The delusions, hallucinations, disorganized thinking, grossly disorganized or abnormal motor behavior, and negative symptoms. We're going to talk about what each of those means. Psychotic disorders with the delusions, these delusions are categorized as fixed beliefs that are not amenable to change in the light of conflicting evidence. Basically meaning that, you know, somebody can have a delusion and even if you say, hey, that's not right, here's some proof, it's not going to change their mind. They still believe this. Damn it. Yes. So there's a whole bunch of different kinds of delusions. So there are referential delusions, which is like believing that circumstances are directed at you, even if impossible. So like... T. Swift stands thinking that a period at the end of a sentence instead of a semicolon means that Taylor Swift loves you specifically and wants you to finish that sentence for her instead of some Easter egg drop for the next album that she's coming out with. That would be a referential delusion. (laughs) Ooh, Swifties are coming for you. (laughs) I love Taylor Swift. I've listened to Midnight's many times, too many times. (laughs) But um we know that Taylor Swift loves an Easter egg. Doesn't mean that she wants me to finish it for her. Correct. You know? I hear you. So there are also grandiose delusions, which would be exceptional delusions of like having superpowers, exceptional abilities, wealth, or fame, even when those aren't true. There are erotomanic delusions, which is false belief of other people being in love with them. So like this could be one person in love with them, many people in love with them, but you know, This would be the equivalent of someone who goes into work every day, sees a janitor, and the janitor might sort of smile, might, you know, nod their head at them, wave a hand, and they're receiving that as, like, undying love and support. 
don't know. And so it's just this sort of disproportional belief that is not backed by anything. And there's a bunch of these um, nihilistic delusions. So delusions that major catastrophes are going to happen. Um, somatic delusions like preoccupations with health and organ function. Something I wanted to note here is that delusions can be categorized as bizarre. So diagnostically speaking, this means they are totally impossible and not understood by any peers or anyone who has ordinary life experiences. So this is very important. A bizarre delusion is totally impossible or completely illogical to anybody else in the same situation or with a normal life. Interesting. Normal is so fascinating. It's used so much in the DSM-5, and this is my specific fascination with psychology, is like all of this is fascinating, and it makes sense on a logical level, but there's always that baseline comparison of normal, and I think it's fascinating who gets to decide what that is. Yeah, which means we have to all decide and agree on what normal or typical is. Right, and, you know, so just take all that with a grain of salt. I love the DSM-5, but like I said... There have been DSMs that included homosexuality as a mental illness. Like, we are learning and evolving with humanity. We're not claiming this is the answer. This is where we're at right now. So these are fascinating to me. There are some of these that are like having thought withdrawal, so external forces removing thoughts from your head or thought insertion, believing that ideas are being put in your head that aren't yours. And some people even have like delusions of control where they think they aren't even in control of their own brain or body, which just sounds so sad. So many of these things are truly like a prison in your own mind. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where stuff with psychology is so fascinating, but also can be haunting, too, because it's it's just not something you can physically see. Right. I break my arm. You can do an x-ray. Okay, you can see. That's why that hurts. That's why. I'm feeling that's why I can't use that arm right, right now. That's why it's not healing. Whatever it is, at least you can assign. Okay, this is the visual that makes it make sense. Right. Right. Other you people look, can see it and validate it. Right. When you look at things that aren't tangible, that present themselves differently in different people, it is so difficult to assign a characteristic to it or combine all the characteristics to make a diagnosis yeah and maybe that's several diagnoses and it's just it's fascinating but can be awful in the way that there's some people that either are just born with a condition like this yeah develop one over time depending on what it is it's just it that's got to be so difficult and in psychology something that's interesting to me is essentially Most of the textbooks I've read as of late operate on this idea that there are two components that are required to make you, uh, I don't know, to make symptomology of mental illnesses pop up. Mm -hmm. So one has to be a predisposition. You have to be predisposed in some way. It has to be able to be there. Okay. And there has to be some sort of event that triggers this. So for some people... You know, let's talk about anxiety. Anxiety is genetic. Maybe your mom and your dad has anxiety and you grew up in a great home. And then one day, two blocks over, somebody's house catches fire and this triggers your anxiety. Suddenly you're terrified of fire. Mm -hmm. For, you know, I mean, obviously that's going to mark an experience. And so long as these symptoms prevail past a certain amount of time and it's not solely in relation to that trauma, 
you might develop a generalized anxiety disorder. And I think that the whole idea of any of these any of these diagnoses impacting you is scary because you have to you have to learn in your own head how to articulate what's going on in a way that is communicable with people who aren't dealing with this Mm -hmm. but also you have to find someone who's going to believe you in order to work on it with you and for so long so few people were believed and you just can't get away with it. It's not like a six to eight cat, like a six to eight week cast that's going to heal your arm and then you take it off and you're fine. Right. It's something you're going to have to deal with. So I think it's so important to talk about. But these are delusions. And just kind of like we were talking about with other people not knowing, not experiencing the same thing. Hallucinations are also part of this psychotic disorder and schizophrenic disorder spectrum. So hallucinations are perception-like experiences that occur without an external stimulus. Basically meaning you're experiencing something that isn't physically happening. So there are visual hallucinations. You know, this is what I think a lot of people think about when they hear like mushrooms or whatever. But actually the most common form of hallucination, at least in this disorder spectrum, is auditory hallucinations. So you're hearing things frequently and most typically it's reported to be voices although you don't always know who the voices are sometimes you do sometimes you don't but these happen either while you're awake or there are hypnagogic hallucinations which is what happens when you're sleeping Mm. there are hypnopompic hallucinations which happen upon waking up from sleep that was a lot of words that, that had so, so many syllables, you guys. So awful. I know. No, like, like imagine. Terrorized by your dreams. And I know that night terrors and there's a lot of other conditions that, you know, PTSD can be known. Like the, right. the night terror, the, what happens at night, your brain sort of left to its own devices, fills in all of these like storylines and makes shit up. Yeah. And even someone who's like neurotypical is going to experience nightmares, bad dreams, cold sweat, wake up, you know, every once in a while. Imagine that every time you close your eyes. Would you want to sleep? I wouldn't. Hell no. That and like the thing that really haunts me is the idea of these terrifying hallucinations upon waking up and only in the process of waking up. Mm. Like, I don't know if y'all have heard of a sleep paralysis demon. Uh, My roommate and I actually kind of joke about it a little bit because we're like, oh, terrifying. Um, But it's just like terrifying this idea that you'd wake up and be sort of half awake, half asleep, and mm-hmm. you're seeing or hearing things that, that you, you can't, can't control. Right. You can't move. You can't change. And then once you're awake enough to, like, investigate and see what's going on, it's not there anymore. Oh, no. That would stress me the fuck out. I'm stressed hearing about it. For me, it's like a spider, right? If I see it in the house, I can do it. Like, I can I can go get that cup. I can put it in the cup, take it outside, whatever. I can put it in the toilet. Better than the I whole thing but once i lose that i'm out i'm going to a different level of the house i'm leaving the house like uh-huh. i'll come no, back when it's gone yeah i will yeah. give you three to five days if you can here's serve. your eviction notice yeah. by now yeah so that just stresses me out but the other three are a lot less involved i think so we'll talk about those pretty quick and then we'll move on to the personality disorders Ooh. Disorganized thinking and speech is one of these other symptoms that are involved in the psychotic disorder spectrum. Um, I thought this was fascinating because actually as someone with 
ADD, ADHD on that spectrum. This is something that we are used to like all the frickin' time. <laughs> um, and this is what like differential diagnose, like diagnoses come into play, right? So obviously someone with ADD or ADHD isn't automatically going to have delusions and hallucinations and all these other things. But if all you heard was this one symptom, you would need to hear more before you could figure out what way you were going to go. Mm-hmm. So just like that's what I mean in terms of differential diagnoses needing time. But disorganized thinking and speech is inferred from speech and it's about the thinking. So this refers essentially to the line of thought someone has and the way that their thought process is inferred from conversations. Symptoms of this can include derailment or loose associations. This is when I giggle and say ADDs are used to this, but like basically refers to getting beyond off topic. So loose associations. <laughs> you off topic? Never, always. <laughs> Loose associations could be like, oh, someone saying, I love your mug. And then my response with a loose association being, oh, my ex-best friend dated this barista once who loved rodents. And since they broke up, I can't stand rodents. Like there's a very loose association. How did you get there? Mug, mug, coffee, coffee, barista, barista, ex-best friend's barista who loves rodents. Like that's a loose association. Emphasis on the loose. But there are also tangential tangentiality responses that can be completely unrelated so instead of i love your mug to a barista it's i love your mug to where the hell is the nearest like six flags (laughs) like there's no relation you know what i mean yes unless your mug is of six flags in which case that's not the point seriously stop being the well actually yeah i don't don't need we don't need that i'm just trying to give you an example anyway (laughs) so one of the other symptoms here of these psychotic disorders is grossly disorganized or abnormal motor behavior this does include canatonia so we'll talk about that but this shows in a variety of ways basically the disorganized or abnormal behavior um, has a lot to do with how you're presenting so the dsm-5 says this can range from childlike silliness to unpredictable like agitation to the catatonic behavior. Catatonia is a marked decrease in reactivity to the environment. And this ranges from resistance to instruction to inappropriate posture to not talking or a lack of any motor responses. So is that when they say someone's in a catatonic state? That's what they're referring to. So they're just like checked the fuck out. Right. Like they're, they're the body's here, their mind is somewhere else. Right. And that can be a little bit confused with dissociation, but something that's specific to catatonia is it also includes that motor response. Right. So you're like, you're checked out both mind and body. Things are just shutting down. Okay. This also can include purposeless and excessive motor behavior. So that's called catatonic excitement. So that would be like you're still checked out, but, you know, maybe you're like tapping your hand really fast or like bouncing up and down or like pacing the room for no reason. And obviously there's a reason, but in the catatonic state, you're not able to like express that. And lastly, negative symptoms which I thought was just a funny name for a category of symptoms for a disorder. Like, of course, they're going to be negative. That's kind of the point. Um, Marked in this diagnosis also include diminished emotional expression. Um, And this includes, like, all body language. So this would be, you know, not getting the smiles when you smile or, you know, sort of losing any form of facial reaction and body language that might express your feelings. 
This could also lead to avolition, which is a decrease in motivated self-initiative purposeful activities. So like showering, sleeping, eating. Oh, okay. Elogia, which is decreased speech output. So not quite mutism, but like edging on that. Anhedonia, which is the inexperience of pleasure from positive stimuli or not being able to feel good about things that previously made you feel good. So like if you like to go down to the little pond and feed the ducks some bread and that makes you really happy and you're like, oh, so cute. Every time you think about it, you're not going to go, oh, so cute. When you think about it, you're going to go, yeah, I fed ducks like that kind of thing. Okay. And then lastly, one of the other negative symptoms associated with this is asociality, which is loss of interest in social interactions and activities. So now that we've talked about what a psychotic schizophrenic symptom is and this whole range, I wanted to go on to the next category that is what people most frequently discuss when they talk about psychopaths. This whole category that we went over, I think is so important because A, shortening any of this to be like, oh, you psycho, it's not helpful. It's not conducive to actually figuring out what's going on with someone. It's also not accurate. Right. And it's not accurate. So it's this whole idea that like, I want you guys to know if we're talking about this, like we're actually going to do a good job. I want you to see that this is not just us saying like, oh, where's the fun, exciting parts of this. There is evidence behind this. There is rationale. And specifically when it comes to talking about psychotic and schizophrenic disorders, this is not fun. Like none of this is fun, but the people that are experiencing this are not having a good time. Like one of the symptoms is that you're not having a good time, which is horrible. Let's just be kind to one another. And, you know, when we're actually trying to figure out the psychology behind someone, let's think about it and see how that plays out in action and in word. I don't think you can get the full story from either alone. So, okay. So let's talk personality disorders. Let's do it. Personality disorders. There's a few of them. So they're categorized into different groups, but today we're focused on group B personality disorders. Mm. According to mayoclinic.org, group B disorders are categorized by dramatic, overly emotional, and unpredictable thinking or behavior. So like... Hey, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) That is just the impulsivity. So antisocial personality disorder is going to be shortened to ASPD. So if you hear me say that, I'm referring to antisocial personality disorder. Okay, that's a lot easier than saying that every single time. Yes, it is. So ASPD is categorized by a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15 or older and indicated by three plus of the following symptoms. And just as a heads up, you guys, anything that I've quoted about actual disorders, I have gotten directly from the DSM-5. So that's where all of my direct quotes are coming from. And of course, all of my resources are put in the show notes. So if you wanted to see them or go to them yourselves, they should all be there. And yes, the study that I mentioned in the intro is in there and it's in APA format. So you're welcome. Ooh. <laughs> The rest of them are just links to the internet spots, though, okay? I think that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So here are the symptoms in which you need three plus in order to categorize, categorize, oh my gosh, in order to fit a diagnostic criteria for ASPD. Failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, 
as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. Deceitfulness, as indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. Impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. Irritability and aggressiveness, as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Reckless disregard for safety of self or others. Consistent irresponsibility, as indicated by repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations. And lastly, a lack of remorse, as indicated by being indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. Mm. So... That's a whole lot of things, and I'm sure you can think off the top of your head of at least one case that covers a majority of these things Mm -hmm. or one offender that has a majority of Of these symptoms. There are a few things to keep in mind here. Again, this diagnosis is only for people who are over the age of 18. This diagnosis also has to have some symptoms of conduct disorder appear before the age of 15. So this means there's got to be at least three years of some of these symptoms happening in someone's life between 15 and 18 or longer. And longer being the conduct disorder symptoms, so we'll talk about those in a second, have to appear before 15. So if they appear at seven, that's 11 years. That's a long time. But lastly, the occurrence of this antisocial behavior has to not exclusively be during the course of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. So when I talked about that schizophrenic spectrum and those psychotic disorders, that's important because these antisocial behaviors have to happen outside of a schizophrenic episode, has to be outside of a psychotic diagnosis. These have to be self-perpetuated, not perpetuated by another disorder, which makes sense in order for it to be its own diagnosis. But I think that's something helpful to explain that it is in this case mutually exclusive. It has to happen on its own. Gotcha. So symptoms of that conduct disorder, these symptoms that have to be present before 15 for anybody to be diagnosed with ASPD, here are some of the main ones. Aggression to people and animals, destruction of property, deceitfulness or theft, or serious violations of rules or laws. So, you know, I think a lot of troubled kids deal with this. Conduct disorder is specifically for minors. Mm -hmm. You can age out of conduct disorder and lead a pro-social and happy, normal functioning life. But you could also continue on to end up being diagnosed with something like ASPD where you have deeper concerns with your behavior. Gotcha. All right. So the DSM-5 says the following. The essential feature of antisocial personality disorder is this pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others that begins in childhood or early adolescence and continues into adulthood. This pattern has also been referred to as psychopathy, sociopathy, or dissocial personality disorder. So essentially, this means that there is no way to be diagnosed as a psychopath or sociopath. Both of them refer to different spectrums of symptoms in antisocial personality disorder. All right. So psychopathy and sociopathy for the Mental Health of America are essentially quote-unquote pop psychology terms. Basically saying they're reinforced in media, but aren't the predominant concern with this disorder. Psychopathy is essentially categorized by individuals who are quote-unquote born this way. This can also include potential differences in brain makeup, so actual cognitive differences. It could also be genetic. 
There are also instances where very young children, so infants and babies, like not past baby or toddler, um, experience trauma. And this can end up having them categorized as psychopaths, as sociopathy kind of deals more with childhood and teen experiences. Mm -hmm. So typically environmental stressors are more closely associated with sociopathy. Um, but psychopaths do tend to be said to have a hard time forming emotional connections with others, though they can kind of keep that perfunctory level checked. So it's not going to seem really weird to you, but you're probably not going to get to know them very well. Okay. People who struggle with psychopathy also have a hard time contextualizing other people's emotions feeling guilt and can view others as more of like a pawn and getting what they want instead of like another being that's being affected. Right. So like I said, you're probably not going to get close with one of these people very frequently. Like that's pretty hard to do, but it's because of this whole idea that if you sit down and try to have this conversation, it's probably going to be pretty one-sided because they frequently struggle with conceptualizing your emotions relating on that field like empathy levels are pretty damn low because it's hard to connect but that being said psychopaths because it is so commonly said to be a group of people where this happens at birth they learn like you or I so they learn how to mimic behavior which is why people get so freaked out right because you might not have these deep conversations but you might think you're a good friend with them you might think that you're having them they're just not right there's nothing behind that for them it's not genuine it's not deep and the other thing is you know psychopaths do have the ability to fit in this whole idea of like can't be them because they perform perfunctory social lives like I said just scratching that surface of what you think a normal person would do but it doesn't go beyond that because that's all they're mimicking it's all they see they don't have that depth behind it like you're probably not going to go to a psychopath's house and find a diary that says how much they really loved this time that you know you shook their hand and you gave them a little extra pat on the back right you're just probably not going to find it because that you know includes a deeper introspection and emotional connection that then they probably have the capacity to have but that doesn't mean you're not going to feel that way you know so psychopaths can mimic this emotion this expression seem trustworthy and they likely can hold down a job have friends and a lot of times they can even maintain like a romantic relationship which is kind of impressive to me honestly Mm -hmm. Um, and due to this ability to maintain composure when psychopaths commit crime they do tend to have a much more organized style of crime they can kind of you know, cross their T's and dot their I's a little bit better. Just on the spectrum, that's where they're more likely to fall. Doesn't mean that that's where they will, but they have a better capacity for that. They also have the ability to eliminate a lot of the emotional factors that come into play when you look at disorganized, right? The panic, the everything else, the fear, the whatever. They're They're not really phased by that. They're like expert compartmentalizers. Yes, And if you guys are confused by what we mean with organized or disorganized, Allie and I did do a CJ short earlier on in which we described this whole spectrum. Correct. So you can go give that a listen if you want. It's really good. I'm just saying. I am totally biased, though. Me too, but I I have to admit that. (laughs) (laughs) For the record. For the record, I am biased. I like what we put out. But yes, 
I wouldn't want to do it if I didn't think it was good. Exactly. But, you know. So we're going to get to sociopathy and hang in there, you guys, because we are going to get to examples. I promise. I just want to explain this first. Sociopathy tends to refer to those who have this antisocial personality disorder or ASPD that are, quote unquote, environment made, basically meaning that trauma or stimuli um, of those that have developed their symptoms of ASPD through trauma and relations or upbringing. When we look at psychopathy and sociopathy, we typically break it into like nature versus nurture. Now, they're not like all-encompassing and mutually exclusive but we typically look at like psychopaths with nature sociopaths with nurture right psychopaths born that way sociopaths developing that condition or, or that way yes and as we look at like child psychology even that baby infantile trauma that might change something we are looking at as quote-unquote nature because that damage you know quote-unquote damage has been done so early during like those pivotal formidable times right so your brain develops as if that is just the way you were born so that is why that gets grouped in with that and sociopathy when we say that whole nurture debate we're talking about childhood and adolescence and teenage years right where they're actually like having an active role in what they're thinking and how they're perceiving the trauma right it has to be like an age range that most people would remember right (laughs) yes And I I do say most people because I have a terrible memory. And I'm sure if anybody else has a concussion or a TBI, they can get that. But, you know, (laughs) brain damage aside, if you would typically remember it, it's typically in the age of quote unquote nurture. So these kinds of experiences, these trauma and abusive experiences that kids and teens go through are what you might guess. So like sexual or physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, that kind of thing. And typically, like I said, with psychopathy being more genetic and infantile onset, sociopathy points to these triggers, like we said, in children and teens. But to have ASPD, you have to be an adult. And these symptoms that you're showing as a kid, they are not going to be diagnosed as ASPD. They're not going to be diagnosed as a social and antisocial personality disorder. It's going to be conduct disorder because conduct disorder symptoms have to be there for you to be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. So just so you know, you can't be like a model child, hit 18, get a brain injury, and then suddenly have antisocial personality disorder. That would be something entirely different. But According to Mental Health of America, counter to psychopaths, sociopaths do tend to be a lot more impulsive and erratic, have a much more difficult time forming connections with others. Though sociopaths are not incapable of connecting with others, they can form friendships or a relationship with someone like-minded. So if you're going to see like two sociopaths, you best believe they're thinking the same thing. They're on the same wavelength about whatever it is that they care about you know what I mean Mm -hmm. that being said if you're going to see one sociopath with someone else chances are they are either sociopathic or psychopathic and that's okay just also means they're on the same wavelength (laughs) like very possible um but sociopaths I think because of this and because of that impulsivity and erratic behavior they have a much harder time holding down jobs they frequently don't have a quote-unquote pro-social life, so like what you and I would think of with a productive work life, meaningful connections with people, either, you know, 
in family, friends, or romantic ventures, they're not going to have any of that on the outside. They also have a hard time with this impulsivity and erratic behavior, which can lead up to like pent up frustration and throwing a quote unquote fit, not like a tantrum, but like I'm sure you've seen a criminal minds, in which case someone was able to poke at the offender enough for them to be like, ah, like it's all my mom's fault and I'm pissed at my mom. And like that might be the kind of erratic fit that they're throwing um, where you can poke enough and they're impulsive enough that they don't have that ability to sort of hold it in. They're going to let it out. Okay. And this is why also sort of counter to that psychopathic counterpart they tend to be a lot more disorganized with their crimes so you know if i'm ted bundy and ted bundy by the way is not a sociopath but just an example if i'm ted bundy and i see a woman with a middle part and brown hair and she comes up to me and says no you can't have that salad if he was a sociopath he might throw a fit Mm-hmm. Ted Bundy is a psychopath, so he does not. But <laughs> right. if you were a sociopath, that might be a difference in but reaction But he had for the him. ability to remain composed, which is why he got a- away with it for so long, right? Because you looked at him and had a conversation with him. He didn't show, he didn't tip his cards, you know? Exactly. So he's actually my first example under examples of psychopath. Love it. Um, good old Ted Knees of Steel Bundy. Oh, Ted Bundy. Is a great example. So not only was he able to maintain enough composure on the outside to trick our freaking, I don't know, beacon in the night and rule. Mm. They worked together and you, if, in case you didn't know that, which I stuttered over a bunch, but it's true. And he, she just had no idea. She had I none. Know. I know. And it's Anne Rule. I know. That's her whole life. She just writes about this. Sh- anyway, not the point. So... <laughs> <laughs> He also had relationships like he had romantic relationships he was able to pursue and Mm -hmm. maintain one of which um, I believe there was a child involved. And by the way, uh, even after all of this happened, he was still able to get a woman knocked up in prison. Well, there was a lot of people that were like free to like they did not believe that he did it. Yeah. And that's kind of the the lure of the fear of psychopaths. Right. It's like this whole like could be your next door neighbor thing. You can be like like a fish on a hook the entire time right and so psychopaths can be hard i think john wayne gacy would be a good example of one as well Mm he well you know i can't say officially that he would be diagnosed with aspd though he seems on the spectrum um because again i don't know what his childhood was like off the top of my head so i can't say what you know symptoms of conduct disorder he would have had before the age of 15 don't know But from adult behavior, absolutely seems like it. He was methodical. He had the exact map of where the boys that he murdered were laid out in his basement, Mm -hmm. in his head. Like, he did not write it down. He just had it in his head Mm -hmm. and replicated it for law enforcement. And he was, you know, the good old guy next door. He He was a social business owner. He was involved in politics, I think. what And Ted Bundy was, too. I mean, he was very intelligent, hard worker, member of the Republican Party, John Wayne Gacy business owner upper in his church yeah and then also a member of the democratic party in his like very like involved in every sense of the way in their community and everything people that you wouldn't look twice at that you would be pissed off if you found out they were accused because you're like what this guy no he's great yeah and you know you you know like ted bundy you might go to his defense you might be like no fucking way and sometimes it's yeah 
they did it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, the fear of this. And it's not common. So don't stop talking to people because you're afraid of this. It's not going to be most people. Like we said, ASPD affects 1% to 4% of the population in America. It's a small percentage of people. And beyond that, an even smaller percent of those people commit crimes. And then beyond that, a even smaller percent of those actually hurt people. And then beyond that, that. even smaller <laughs> that they are serial offenders in that way. So... We're looking just, at a handful of people, but they're the people that we're fascinated to talk about. Yes. So just keep that in mind again. Um, I also wanted to say that Jeffrey Dahmer would be a great example of what a lot of people think is a famous sociopathic serial killer. Mm-hmm. But this is not true. Um, he did have some of those conduct disorder symptoms. We talked about the comorbidity. He also had some substance use issues by the age of 14. So young. Right. Like we're looking at that conduct disorder stuff. We're looking at some intense mental health issues. But upon a closer inspection of Dahmer, you might see that when he recounts his crimes, he does seem to take the killing very hard. He would always try to do it quickly and swiftly per the sources that I saw. Well, his and goal was never to murder. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't to hurt people, and he knew he was hurting people. He didn't care that it... He was self-serving enough to say he doesn't care if it happens. Right. But that whole empathy of knowing it's hurting someone and trying to swiftly do it mitigates this whole... We use empathy very lightly here. Like, this is not actual empathy here. It's just... It, I mean, it is. It's actual empathy. It's just but it's, like it's 1% a, it's of empathy. It's a sliver of it. It's a sliver of it where we would consider, like your average yes. person to have like a million times more than that yeah i would say most people are very good at acting upon their empathy and i think in his own twisted ways he was he was not trying to add extra pain he just didn't seem to care that he was when he did but he knew about it and when you hear about it you can hear him talk about that so if there is that element of any sort of recognition or understanding of the other person's being outside of just a means to an end, hmm. they do not qualify. Just a heads up. They're all just such pieces of shit. Okay, keep going. I mean, they are. I'm not discounting that. Oh, no, it's horrible. Jeffrey Dahmer is absolutely not an angel, no. and he is certainly not in purgatory. I'll These leave are, that up to you. They're all horrible, but I want you to tell me everything. But, yes, <laughs> it's just like, he's awful, but he doesn't qualify for any of these because of that. Like Right. Because he can acknowledge that and his brain understands that, out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Not one. So an actual sociopath, though, would be Ed Kemper, our good friend Edmund. Um, he's a great example of a famous serial killing sociopath Bubble because butt. he was friggin' wild. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, I think it was him. Did you guys know that he read audiobooks? Yes. In prison, he recorded, like, yes. I, w- I could be wrong. I want to say it's children's books, but I could it entirely was a, be. a bunch of different genres. And I may or may not have given myself away to my college abnormal psychology professor when he was like, did you guys know that, like, you know, some people are like, you know, we were talking about sociopaths. And I was like, yes, did you know that he read books? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, shit, I shouldn't have given that hand away. He narrated one of those, like, a Star Wars book. Yeah. No, people loved his voice. And Flowers in the... There were some things, and I forget exactly... Flowers in the Attic, no! Yes, Flowers in the Attic. A lot of these books that I remember, like, reading about Mm -hmm. um, that he did, some of them were, like, so close... Like, they were, like, murder books. And he would just... And it was just, like, does that not... 
you guys picking up what you, do you know what you just had him read i mean yeah. which is still worse than like a lullaby but you know what i'm saying yeah. like like a children's book is just as bad as i don't know but he did he had that calming soothing voice and you'd look at him and you're like he's just a big oaf yeah he just he's a big he's just a big goofy man quiet silly goofy guy you just you wouldn't look at him and be like ah yes he hurts people you're like well he's just he's just looks really big for his personality like he's very like meek meek and well and again that fits this whole typology right so for like kemper was wild but i can confidently say that sociopathy is a good label for him in terms of the spectrum because if nothing else when asked about killing his victims he discussed them as wanting them for himself quote-unquote like possessions so this really takes away any emotional being out of them he doesn't seem to have any remorse or understand there's any connection there that what he did hurt somebody else or just yeah just doesn't care right that it's they're just his possessions he doesn't care about them as an he's entitled to do that right disgusting Further, a lot of his psychologically impacting trauma was in his childhood to teens. So, like we said, this whole nurture element. Um, Talk about mommy issues. Oh, my gosh. I know. He killed his paternal grandparents, but his mother used to, like, lock him in their basement or something insane. And ugh, I yeah, I think it was, like, under the kitchen table. Yeah. Is that him? I think so. We'll do him at some point. I'm pretty interested because he is an interesting case of sort of a juvenile you should have had a better eye out on, but I don't know how you would know that. So he ended up murdering his paternal grandparents going to a, I don't want to say like a ward, but maybe like an institution for juveniles that are found to be like mentally incapable or incapacitated. And, um, then he got out and he killed like 15 more women, which is insanity. Or it might have been four, 13, I think. I can't remember if he killed 15 women or if he had 15 victims, including his grandparents. But um, we will do one on him. Fascinating. But he would pick up these students who were hitchhiking and take them to isolated areas where he would, and trigger warning here, uh, shoot, stab, smother, and strangle them. And then he would then take their bodies home where he decapitated them Uh performed some necrophilia type actions with their heads and their corpses and would dismember them. And this requires little to no social skills. So we don't need to worry about the fact that, uh, you know, he's spending that much time with them. That has nothing to do with his social ability. Correct. But uh, despite the fact that he found a pattern in a little more of an organized fashion, that's the only thing that doesn't really fit with like, you know, all the boxes are checked for sociopathy on that end of the spectrum. So like Ali and I did say, though, in that CJ short where we talked about it, you are going to find yourself somewhere on the spectrum. One label is not going to fit everything that you do. And when you are a serial killer, you have to have a certain element of organization in order to continue killing. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to hear of a lot of super famous, super disorganized killers. Right. But this is a really good example of a sociopathic serial killer. And then I did have um, a little episode, not episode. I had like a little mix up segment, which would be the Columbine boys. Oh my goodness. So you may think that the Columbine boys were sociopaths or psychopaths, but in actuality, only one of them could have technically been diagnosed. And even he, I'm not sure technically fits that 
diagnostic. So the Columbine boys or the offenders who uh, shot and killed many students and faculty members and community members in the Columbine High School shooting. Their names were Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. 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 Thank you. These boys are a fascinating projection of sociopathy and psychopathy, showing that this is a spectrum and it's all under the umbrella of antisocial personality disorder. But Eric Harris is probably presented more psychopathic on the spectrum. Friends from his early childhood described him just like a typical kid. Like he had friends. He'd go to like birthday parties. That wasn't super... You know, there was no red flags about his social life. He was also the, like, sort of ringleader, the mastermind behind it. And he yes. was the very organized person who yeah. sat out and planned it. He had, you know, a flirty little relationship with a girl for a while. Like, it was high school. It didn't go anywhere. But he had no problems with that kind of interaction. Like, he is a very good example of someone who could be categorized as a psychopath had he gotten that far. And between the two of them, he is the only one who could have been diagnosed because he had turned 18 like two weeks before the shooting um most of the times when it comes to like adult like quote-unquote adult diagnoses that you have to have a certain amount of age on you you're not going to get that diagnosis like that diagnosis on your birthday like happy birthday you're 18 now you're antisocial instead of just having conduct disorder so to say that he was is an overstatement there's nothing i've seen that you know, notes that or that could exactly prove that. But he certainly would be further on that spectrum of the two. And Dylan was 17. Columbine shooting where they then took their own lives was in April. And Dylan's birthday was in September. So he was a few months off. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was exceptionally bright as a kid, had a great IQ, but just had a really hard time socially. So severely it, depressed. Yes. And he is a great example of that whole you know, difficulty with connections in that sociopathy spectrum of ASPD. And, you know, like I said, difficulty with social circumstances does not mean you're unable to make a social connection. It just means that it has to be a like-minded individual. So for Dylan, he found Eric and Eric also had a lot of the same issues and the same concerning behaviors and thought processes. So they were able to like click, make a little pact. Yeah. Pact, pack, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. I'm sure both. Um, so that was a fun little overview of psychopathy versus sociopathy. My goodness. Thank you. If you guys like episodes like this, like a real true layout, deep dive on psych and yes. the sort of overlaps with psychology sociology get it soci people Mm -hmm. okay um criminology all of those things like that please let us know because we are so interested and fascinated in these topics and we want to talk about them and we get giddy getting a chance to do that to share it with people who are also just as interested in these things you just gotta let us know if you want to hear it because we're just not gonna throw them at you if we don't know it's gonna take us another mm, 33 episodes for me to get up the courage to do another one of these if you guys don't tell me so just saying but also jinx um (laughs) just saying (laughs) that you know i also have a bachelor's degree in psychology this specific subset like this overlap of psychology and criminology this is what really got me going on all of this. I think it's fascinating. I think it's curious how we all sort of 
process and introspect on our relations and interactions with other people and how that might lead someone to commit crimes, to lack, not necessarily lack, but overlook empathy and what their emotions and sort of their moral compass might be telling them. I think it's so fascinating. So in case you're looking for next week's episode, like I'm, I'm just kidding. It's not that. But like Allie and I said, we're happy to do this. There are so many different things in this category that I think you guys would be into. Honestly, anybody who watches Criminal Minds, I think you're into this like a little bit. In Mindhunter, please. Yes, they please. do so much of this. But like, you know, there's so much in this subsection to talk about from the psychology of offender MOs or like how they commit their crimes to the rationale and theories for different criminal behaviors like AOS, the correlation between stabbing and impotence. Yep. Um, even down to reasons why certain people behave the way they do after a crime, like getting involved in the investigation, even though you're putting yourself right under the police's noses, like stuff like that. Fascinating. I love it. Tell me if you want to hear me vent about it all the time because I will and I won't shut up. So if you guys are interested in sort of the episodes we do where we're not doing this super deep dive right into one particular case or one particular offender, we do have other episodes already out there for you. So we do have our organized versus disorganized offender episode. We have our episode on uh, victimization of people with disabilities, Yeah, um, which is an approach looking at the criminology of offenders who target people with disabilities and how people with disabilities are more at risk for pretty much all crime. Well, and victimology is also such an interesting subsect, you know, why people pick the specific victims that they have. Um, or what are the qualities that those victims share or do they not share qualities so there's so much to unpack there that we would love to sit and unpack with you again we just want confirmation that that's something that you want us to do and please ask and you shall receive this is an open invitation for an invitation absolutely Um, (laughs) (laughs) you tell us we are here to record what you want to hear because we're going to talk about this shit ourselves anyway so exactly (laughs) just tell us when to press you know a little red circle But we really appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We invite you to please share with a friend, repost some of our posts. Hell yeah. Help us spread the word. Help us reach more people, especially if you're liking what you're hearing. Don't be that guy. Share it. You know. You know it. Um, Please tell a friend. Please. Um, We did not get to Kenya by nobody telling friends. I don't know how the hell we got to Kenya. Love ya. Um, A little bewildered by that. Uh, Honestly, very humbled and very flattered. But it is because of you guys that we are getting to the places we are. We have already pestered and badgered everybody we know enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our families and friends are not the new numbers. So thank you so much. Please keep it up. We are loving this community and so enjoying your presence and your thoughts and your feelings on everything as well. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, this is a two-way street. We love to talk to you guys. We love when you talk to us. And we will support you just as you support us. If you check out our little Instagram, there's like a pod pet section. So you can see everybody's pets that they send us because you best believe we post in that shit. And we love for you to send us our your pod pets. Any kind of pet you have. We don't care Hell what you yeah. have. But we love to see them. We want to just boop all the little noses <laughs> and the little screens and everything. So and cute. Abby, where would they find that? 
So they could find all of that. They could find pictures and faces of the people and things that we talk about on our Instagram. Maybe some tip lines. Hell yeah. Maybe some resources. The whole damn thing is going to be on our Instagram. So that is at about time for true crime pod with periods in between every words. So A-B-O-U-T period, T-I-M-E period, F-O-R period, T-R-U-E period, C-R-I-M-E period, P-O-D. Which is super long, but you know what? Instagram wouldn't let us put in podcast. They didn't. But you can also just search ATFTC, which is about time for true crime. Uh, little Cute little acronym there. So you can certainly look that up too. We will pop up. Besides, yeah. you don't need to remember it. Although if you've been around for a little bit, you're probably saying it with us at this time. But mm-hmm. they're all in the show notes. So you can just click right on from there, people. But if they weren't like a visual learner mm-hmm. or they'd hate social media. would love to just write a long letter. Yeah. If they wanted to like tell us about their childhood guinea pigs or their actual ex-best friend's ex-boyfriend barista who hates rodents. Um, they could send that in an email. But where would they send that? So if you wanted to email us, you would email us at about time the number four TC at Gmail. So that is a-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four, T-C at gmail.com. Love that. Well, we hope to see you guys sliding into those DMs, sending us some emails. We do reply. Um, but until then, we, I don't know, we just love spending time with you and we'll talk to you on Thursday, I guess. We will see you next time. And if I take a look at my watch, that was About, about Time for True Crime. Good night. Later. Have a good day.